Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. podcast. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you so much for all of the tremendous support that you've given the podcast uh, since we launched a little over a year ago. The feedback and the comments that I've received from so many of you is very inspiring and it's truly appreciated. And uh, if you haven't had the chance, I would certainly welcome uh, your uh, your comments and, and particularly a review on iTunes. If you visit iTunes and search for the Colon Cancer Podcast, there is a button there where you can uh, rate and leave a review, and we certainly would welcome your feedback on iTunes. Uh, When we get additional reviews, it helps our exposure, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get our message out to as many people as near and far as we can. I'm very proud of the fact that the podcast has been downloaded in all 50 states and over 60 countries across the world. So clearly the stories that we've had the chance to share of hope and inspiration and survival are touching the lives of people across the globe. And I think that's fantastic. If there's someone that you'd like to nominate to be a guest on the show, uh, please visit our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com and you'll see a link there that says nominate a guest and we're always looking for nominations. And we're also looking for feedback and questions or anything that you want to share or ask of us. You can do that through our email address, which is info at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. I want to give a shout out to my friends over at H2ORS. Chris Shaw and his team uh, have been a great supporter of the podcast. And H2ORS is a a terrific product focused strictly in the oncology space. And what it is, is it's a... uh, powdered drink mix, but unlike the popular sports drinks, it does not contain sugar, it does not contain artificial colors and sweeteners. And uh, as you know, staying hydrated is very important when you're going through chemo, uh, if you have any type of ostomy, these are very important issues. So Chris has uh, done our listeners a favor and has provided a link where listeners of the podcast can get two free samples shipped directly to their home. All you have to do is visit h2rs.com forward slash sample, fill out the information, and they'll be sure to ship out a couple of samples your way. And if you like the product, like I'm pretty sure you will, uh, as I know you will, uh, the listeners of the Colon Cancer Podcast can get 10% off using the promo code h2rs.com when they check out. Uh, interesting webinar that's coming up uh, in just a few weeks on April the 11th. Monday, April 11th is uh, another webinar in our series. You know, so many of the people that I've interviewed on the podcast and so many of our listeners diagnosed at its very young age. And listen, you beat your cancer diagnosis and have been declared cancer free. Yet, given your young age and the treatment regimen that you have endured, you're concerned about 
about what this means for your future, your ability to have a biological child, your sexual relationship with your partner, your ability to date again, living the rest of your life with an ostomy, and the chances of a recurrence. And you're not alone. Unfortunately, this is all too familiar for the growing number of colon cancer survivors under the age of 50. So join us at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on April the 11th uh, with Dr. Christopher Liu, who will walk us through the long-term impacts and psychosocial aspects of survivorship, including the chances of recurrence. We'll also hear from a survivor who will share how they're coping with these aspects of survivorship. For more information on the webinar and to register for it, visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. Speaking of never too young, my guest this week is Sandy Stupica. Sandy was diagnosed a little over a year ago at the young age of 29. And I had such a good time talking to her. She is a bundle of positive energy and enthusiasm. I know you're going to love listening to her story. And she too took a very active role in her treatment plan for rectal cancer because she wanted to uh, preserve her fertility and be able to continue to have the opportunity to have children as she gets a little bit older. It's a great story. I know you're going to love listening to her. So join me now for my conversation with Sandy Stupica. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you? Hi, Lee. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, I can hear the excitement in your voice. (laughs) Well, I'm really glad you're doing this, and I'm glad to be asked to be a part of this. This is great. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. I mean, I, I know we'd much rather not uh, be in the situation that we'd want to be here, but uh, we all we all get it, right? Yeah. Um, but, I, and, you uh, know, I wish you would have asked me to come to Tampa and do a live interview. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. You, we'll, we'll get to your Florida roots here in a minute, but I, I'm guessing it wasn't 77 degrees up in Ipsy today like it was here. No, it's snowing and uh, it's it's in the 20s right now, but it's beautiful. It's an, it's actually 20s is a nice day in uh, okay. March. <laughs> <laughs> so take me back, Sandy. I know it's about a year since you've been diagnosed and, and tell tell our listeners, how did that come to be? How did you come to be diagnosed? Well, um, so it feels all very fresh for me because it is, because I just had my last surgery for everything in January, January 19th, I got my J pouch and I was diagnosed March 10th. So in a year, uh, less than a year, I've went through everything, um, Uh, For a few years, I would say since 2011, I was diagnosed in 2015, um, but in 2011, I was starting to feel symptoms like, I don't know, like every day you feel like a cramping or, you know, you have some constipation or some bloating and a lot of like the health kicks, I feel like whenever you go to watch any doctor show on TV or you hear new fads from your friends about like, try being gluten free or maybe maybe you need to be a vegan. Like those are like very big fads that my friends were very into. And so when I, I kept changing my diet when I felt really bloated or constipated and I kept trying different things and nothing seemed to get rid of 
like the bloating or my constipation. I just felt really awful all the time. I ate anything. It could have been anything. It could have been as simple as an apple. And I would have been having some really uncomfortable feelings. Um, and so when I finally went to the doctor, I was 29 years old. I'm now 30. Uh, I was 29 years old and, um, I really went to the doctor and I pushed myself. I feel because somebody else posted on Facebook that they were diagnosed with colorectal cancer. And I got really nervous because if he is, he was diagnosed at 32. And so since he shared his story and some of the symptoms he had, it made me think, well, maybe, maybe this is a real thing that I need to take care of because I've already tried keeping like the food journal and trying out new things. And so after I saw this post, I did have like a day of rectal bleeding, but it's nothing like you know, like it wasn't so, I'm, te- I'm a teacher, you know, I feel so busy in my day-to-day life. So when I did have rectal bleeding, it was just like, okay, it just happened once, not a big deal. Um, and you just, you just forget because you're just so busy and you're 29 and, I, and I'm, um, I have a boyfriend, but I'm not married. I don't have kids. Like you're, you just feel young and you feel like it can, it cannot be cancer. It can't, it cannot be. Um, And so I went to the doctor, uh, Metro Detroit Hospital, and um, I told my, the doctor that I was seeing, you know, um, I have tried this, I've logged this in my food journal, and I know it's not these things. And I know it's pretty serious because I've had a day of rectal bleeding, and I know that I feel constipated, I feel bloating. This is something that's a little bit more serious. And luckily, I was referred right away to getting a colonoscopy. And after doing some research, I didn't, I didn't realize how lucky I was to have a doctor that referred me to the colonoscopy because after listening to some of your other podcasts, Lee, and doing some of my own research, a lot of times that doesn't happen for people on the first doctor visit. Like, yep, we got to get you into a colonoscopy. I didn't know that was such a rare thing to have happen. Absolutely. I mean, you've heard the stories. Um, Don Eichers, the first one that comes to mind, uh, and many others, you know, who the doctors just blow them off. Oh, it's, you know, it's hemorrhoids. It's that, this, that, have more fiber, drink more water. Yeah. So yes, you absolutely were, were lucky. So, so what happened then? Well, you know, the doctor did ask me like, have you been trying like fiber? And I said, yep, I've already been doing the Metamucil. I'm already doing that. And this stuff isn't helping. Um, so you want to know like what happened after the colonoscopy or what I did? Uh, so what did they find and what was the diagnosis? So I remember, you know, going to my colonoscopy and prepping for it, which was super embarrassing, you know, like anything that has to do with this. And that's so why another reason why I think people my age don't go to the doctors because it's embarrassing. Like how, how, how are you supposed to, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just a whole nother uh, thing that young people have to get through, I guess. Um, but so I, I was prepped for my colonoscopy and I have a lot of great support. And so my dad came out and he like to Ypsilanti, he's from Kalamazoo and he brought me to my colonoscopy. And, um, so when I woke up from my colonoscopy, you know, they waited for me to fully wake up. This wasn't like, a, oh, she's woken up or she's awake now. Like, let's like get her home and then we'll call you later. This was like a Sandy, we're going to wait for you to wake up because we need to talk to you now. 
Um, and I felt that as soon as I was kind of waking up, like my dad was in the room and he did not look happy. And he was just like holding my hand like my, so my, I don't know, my dad's going to listen to this podcast and you know, he's going to hear this later. My friends kind of refer to my dad as like Ned Flanders of the Simpsons. Like he's a very, (laughs) he is a very happy go lucky guy. He is. And, and that's great because he's been my great support through all of this. Like so many other people have too, but he has really like put things in a really positive perspective for me as I was going through this. And I think a lot of people need that. So he's like the, if you were to like have a Simpsons character of my life, he would be the Ned Flanders of my life. And, um, and so when he wasn't like, Hey, Sandy, you got through it. Sunshine. Let's great. Let's go home. You know, it's like, Sandy, come on. We, we gotta stay here. We gotta see, you know, your doctor before you go. And, and my doctor, you know, brought the pictures in from the colonoscopy and, you know, we looked around. I had over 40 polyps in um, my colonoscopy and I did an endoscopy too. I think I'm saying that right. Um, and that's, you know, they, they wanted to check my stomach too because they didn't know if it was ulcers because um, I told them I had a lot of stress in my life. Teaching stressful. Um and so they, you know, they said, we need to see you again. And so I met with that Metro Detroit doctor again later in the week. And he said, yep, you're going to, you, you, you have cancer. It's, and they didn't stage it. And I thought that was really funny. And I'm really glad that I had my mom with me when they were diagnosing me too later that week. Like I came back in, met with, you know, that Metro Detroit doctor who did my colonoscopy. And she actually had breast cancer. So she knew all the right questions to ask, like, what stage is it? What's the next steps? What are the treatment options? And I just remember being told that I have cancer and I got really like, I didn't cry. I didn't feel any of the emotion. It was more like a surreal, like how much more time do I have left? But that was the only day I really felt like that. Um, but I, they were a really, you know, great support for me. Um, and so they were, you know, my dad being the Ned Flanders supportive guys, like we are going to take these next step, next steps and we're going to get you through this. And we didn't know what really what hospital to go through. Um, we ended up going through the university of Michigan, uh, and I'm a Spartan and I'm Michigan state. So for me to go to the university of Michigan was a big deal. Uh, <laughs> that's like a big thing up here in Michigan is MSU versus U of M. And I graduated from state, but I, I went to U of M because a friend had suggested I go there um because other people have went through there and they've done great things for people and um the first hospital like the metro detroit hospital that first diagnosed me said we need to get you in surgery now no no j pouch no nothing we're just we just need to give you your ostomy you're gonna have for the rest of your life this is what's gonna happen and i panicked because again being 29 years old being told you're going to have an ostomy the rest of your life when last week you were doing your normal routine and now this week i have to like think in my mind okay so my life is going to change in so many ways like is my boyfriend going to stay with me um what well, you know well, like how are my parents feeling right now what's going to happen with my job and you know just to hear all that so suddenly i couldn't i couldn't grasp what was happening and so um we went through the university of michigan and get to get a second opinion and they were so much more calculated and patient like because of that friend that told me he was diagnosed through facebook gave me a lot of great information you know about things to ask and that's and that's why I really want to do that pod, this podcast today is because he gave me so much great information. So I hope I can do that for other people. Um, but he, well, you, you bring up something really, yeah. if, if I could just jump in here, Sandy, uh, um, 
I, I got to give you a lot of credit, and and I really try to hone in on this when I when this comes uh, comes out in conversation with other podcast guests is you didn't just robotically accept the first uh, treatment plan that was presented to you. And, uh, you know, you asked questions and you said, you know, I'm 29 years old. I'm not ready to, to do this. You know, let, 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 let's go get it, you know, another opinion here. So uh, I, I think it's important that I just kind of jump in here and just point that out because uh, sometimes we have this, we take kind of a deferential approach to doctors and just uh, blindly follow whatever advice they give us without questioning and seeing if there are alternatives. And certainly you're at your age, you are focused on quality of life and what that meant for you. Yep. And I'm going to get to get there in a little bit, mm -hmm. but you made another decision and, I'll, and we'll get there in a second that uh, thinking ahead to your, to your future uh, and kind of went off the, off the standard course of treatment too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because I asked around I didn't say like, I could not accept this. I'm a very like goal oriented person. I have like these things that I want to achieve in my life and I didn't, there's no way that I was just going to, that goal of having an ostomy was my goal not to have one. What can I do? If I, like, I hope I can do something to not have one, but I'm going to find out what doctor cannot can do the J pouch for me. That was something that was super important to me. And I knew that because I asked around and I had that connection to somebody else who had this cancer. So he told me that he was getting a J pouch. And I said, that's what I want because I, um, I, you know, and I, I, when I had the ostomy bag, I, I saw what could be appealing about one and I could see how I could live with one, but I'm really glad I don't have one but I could see how people would want that. So I, I didn't want to take it blindly because I did my research and I asked around. Yeah, it's definitely a personal opinion. I mean, I've talked to a few guests. I yeah. think back to my good friend, my buddy, Tony Pace, uh, and all that he faced. Uh, I think he was maybe my fourth or fifth uh, interview and we still stay in touch. And it was a quality of life decision. He said, right. take it out. I'm going with about, I'm going with the, uh, with the ostomy. That was right for him. Yeah. But you know, again, you, you have to decide what's right for you. And I give you a lot of credit for doing that. Well, and I'm a very like, since I am that goal oriented person, you know, that's what I wanted. How do I get that thing? And so I made my, my mind and I said, that's what I want. Um, so that's what I did. And I went with the, and I, I saw the doctors at U of M and they were so patient and, you know, they, and I said, well, so some other things I want to explore is, you know, um, I want to get this J pouch and I want to do fertility. And they asked me all these questions. They said, so this other Metro Detroit, um, hospital that you talked to, did they stage you? And I said, no. And they said, that's a little bit scary. <laughs> And they wanted to try a whole different route than this other hospital did. Like uh, University of Michigan was very calculated. And when I mean, when I say that, I mean, they were like, okay, you're going to meet with your oncologist here. We're going to do chemotherapy for this many weeks. And yes, we can get your fertility preservation in, but it has to be a very strict deadline. So they, they listened to me and they really assured me that I could reach the goals that I wanted. For those of us, myself included, mm -hmm. that don't quite know what quote unquote fertility <laughs> preservation involves, yeah. uh, could you share that with us? 
Yeah, I can. Uh, And the reason, again, that I decided to do fertility preservation is because I had that other person that talked about this openly on Facebook. And he and I reached out to him and he told me a little bit more. And fertility preservation for him is, and I'm, I'm sure everybody can assume this, his fertility preservation is so much different than what a female's preservation. I think we could figure out the male part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. And so when, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Like uh, me, it, like not knowing much or researching it at first, you know, just talking to him saying, what did you do? He's like, yeah, I did this. I did fertility preservation because he's going through the Cleveland clinic in Florida. He's in Fort Lauderdale doing Cleveland clinic. And, um, so he said that, you know, his, his oncologist told him to do it. And he's like, you know, I'd suggest for you to do it too. And I liked that idea a lot. And I really liked that idea because for a couple of reasons, number one, it really slowed things down because like I said, it was like one week you're working and you feel normal and you're doing normal things. And then the next week you find out, Oh, I have, I have cancer and I have to do a surgery in another like week or so like this other Metro Detroit hospital had me so scared that I was, you know, I was, they need to put me on the table right away. Um, but U of M did, like I said, did a really nice job of slowing things down, but you know, fertility preservation just really like you, you're young, you should, you should look into this and it gives you like this really like, um, it creates like a, you think about what it's like to be a survivor after cancer when you do it. Like you don't think about going through chemotherapy and these other things. And it's really nice to think about things after all of that, because you are going to survive. You are going to get through this. And I didn't always think like that. As soon as I was first diagnosed, I did not think like that. But then talking about fertility preservation, I thought to myself, those are things that I do want to have And I don't want cancer to stop me from doing these things. I'm going to live the life that I want to live after this. What can I do to make sure that happens? And fertility preservation really got me going on in in the right foot before starting all of that. Um, So I'm really glad that option opened up. Now, did you also have radiation therapy? No, I did not have radiation. And I talked to my doctors about doing radiation after fertility preservation. And they said that's not a good idea if you want the J pouch and if you want a better chance to have children in the future. Um, So they got rid of radiation for me. That's what I thought you were going to say. So let's get right to the most important part. How are you feeling now? I feel good. Oh, oh my God. I like, I, I want to tear up because of how good I am. Like I told you all, this is so fresh for me. Um, my last surgery was a week before my, my 30th birthday. And I just expected like balloons and trumpets to be sounding at the hospital when I went home. Like, why are the nurses not getting my balloons out right now for me? I feel so (laughs) good and I'm so happy. Um, but it's really hard to feel, you know, like you, you feel other things too. You're like, you know, I, that friend that I told you about, about how he told me he had cancer and that's why I went to get treated. He just found out that he had stage four yesterday. So, you know, you, I've gone through it and I went through it and survived because of him. So you Yeah. So it's just, uh, I feel great, but I really am glad I'm doing this and like reaching out and writing about it just to help other people and know that they're not alone. 
Well, speaking of other people, tell me about your students. You're a teacher, right? But you've been, you've been out of work. Yeah. What grade, what grade do you teach? (laughs) I have the best students that you could ever have in the entire world. I do. Um, because when I told them that I was diagnosed, these kids, they, okay, so I teach 10th and 11th grade, but these kids, they felt so much when I told them because, um, like they, they got the connection. Like they, they got me, they wrote me cards. Um, they write me emails still. Um, some of them have my phone number that I've been their teacher for three years. And I know that sounds like a little, I don't know, it sounds a little strange maybe, but I think that when you feel that connection with kids and they, they want to text you, you're kind of like, you want to grab a hold of that and make sure that they feel as special as what you made them feel, because it makes me feel good that they wanted to reach out to me. And I want them to know that they're struggling just as much as I am, because it's not easy to be told that, you know, that your teacher has cancer. So I want to be there for them just as much as they're there for me. So, um, it kind of goes two ways. I have the best kids though, the the best kids, the best kids. How, How have they inspired you, Sandy? Um, So through when you have like, you know, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you just want people to reach out to you. I mean, people ask me, well, what does that look like? How do you want me to talk to you? How do you want me to be there for you? And I think that the best way to just be there or to be like a caregiver when, you know, someone has cancer is just to say, hey, how are you doing? So I have students that text me every day still, and they say, it's just, you know, weird stuff. They, someone might just say to me like, Miss Stupica, I like your shoes today. And they have no clue what shoes I'm wearing. They just want to, you know, they don't, they just want to show that they're thinking of me. And so I try to tell that to my friends, you know, I don't need, you know, I love the flowers you're sending me and I love, you know, you coming to visit me from wherever they're coming from. But if you just send me a message, it, and it does, it can be so simple. It just lets me know that I'm not alone. So that's kind of the advice that I'd give to any person that knows a loved one that has cancer, just, just send them a message. I think that's the best way. And that's, and my students showed me that. That wasn't like my best friend from high school. It wasn't like I've been, I've been, um, maids of honor for my friends. Um, my, you know, my closest friends, you know, they, they, they've been there for me, but these kids have shown me so much compassion and empathy. It's ridiculous. They have shown me what it means to be a caregiver. (laughs) That's wonderful. You're really fortunate. I, I am incredibly fortunate. Incredibly. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sandy, I really appreciate you sharing your story. And it's, you've been a listener, so you know what my next question is going to be. Uh, you know, it's coming. Uh, you know, when someone actually, I want to do it kind of do it a little bit different in, in right. two parts. And you know that I, I always ask, you know, if someone was recently diagnosed right. and just just heard your story, what advice would you have? And I do want you to answer that. But I also want you to answer the kind of address a little bit more of the young person slash I'm embarrassed kind of topic uh, and how, you know, kind of ignoring and overcoming that embarrassment really saved right. your life. Um, so the first thing that I want to kind of, if you're a first time listener, you've just been diagnosed. I really hope 
you know, that somebody is listening to this and they think about the fertility preservation and what that like to explore that option, because that gave me a great start into thinking beyond cancer, that there is still life beyond, you know, going through what you're going to go through. And I want you to know that um, it's going to seem really hard. Um, I was really fortunate because I mean, I went through the fertility preservation because I have a very handsome boyfriend and he needs to have, you know, I mean, someone that good looking needs to have kids someday. Um, (laughs) You're a trip. So he, you know, you could, it was three weeks of really quick like injections and it's not as bad as it seems. It's not as bad as it seems. And that... You can get through so much more than you think you can. You kind of look at this long schedule because my U of M nurses were great. They said you have 12 rounds of chemotherapy of leucovorn, oxaliplatin, and full FOX5. And then you're going to go into surgery for your ostomy. And then you're going to do your J-pouch surgery, all of which are tough. They are tough, but you are so strong and you don't know how strong you are because you're going to get through each step. I mean, I had to go back into the ER a couple of times after some of these surgeries, but you are going to feel great someday. And you need to know that you are going to feel so good someday. Um, so just kind of keep working towards that day. Um, and in regards to the embarrassment, That's something that was really hard for me. I think that was the toughest thing for me because clothes didn't fit right for me for a while. Um, you know, you have to get, you, you have a whole new body and you have to get used to it. Um, I think that you need to, I think the important thing really is to know that you're not alone and you have people that are going to love you unconditionally because I had a really hard time with just thinking about, you know, going to the store or whatever with the ostomy, but just know that you're going to get through it and you'll, you'll eventually get it right. I mean, even if I didn't get the J pouch, I had a great ostomy nurse, you know, she has, you know, little secrets for 20 and 30 year olds about what you can do to wear, or, um, there's an ostomy secrets website that you can go to that gives you like nice little things that you can wear. So you don't feel so like I have to wear sweatpants, um, for the fertility preservation, I went through a live strong foundation and got scholarships. There are people for you that will support you no matter what road or Avenue you choose. Um, but you can get through it and people will love you unconditionally. That's great advice, Sandy. You know, I, I've got to tell you, I really enjoyed our conversation. I admire your spirit and your enthusiasm and your zest for life, especially knowing that this is just barely a year since you've been diagnosed. So first off, thank you for uh, sharing your message with our audience. I wish you uh, continued good health and uh, can't wait to hear about uh, when you get back to school. I think that's next yeah, month, it's right? April. Uh, is it April? I think it's April 12th. It's April 12th. Oh, I checked. You are yes. good. Uh, <laughs> April 11th, I have an appointment with my oncologist just to do a check-in. So I'm going to go back on a Tuesday. After spring break, I'm going to the Keys. 
Oh, cool, cool. But I, I, I know uh, just from listening to your story that your your students are probably as excited, if not more excited, than you are to have you back. Obviously, you've touched their lives in a special way. Continued good health and all the best things in your future, Sandy. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Lee. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www. .ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer podcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.